Amen. I sure appreciate the words we've heard. Um, I meant to say when I got up a while ago, the brother Jim, who's out in the parking lot, he would be so proud of the young men that were up here leading the music. Didn't they do a wonderful job? So encouraging to see young men that can do that and will stand before a congregation and help lead singing. Appreciate all you brothers that participated in that. And I certainly rejoice again having the opportunity to be here with you this morning. Would you turn, please, in your Bibles to Isaiah 22. As we continue in our servant series, this is the next chronological occurrence of my servant where the Lord refers to a person as my servant. And I remind you once again, as I've said many times, this doesn't mean there's not other servants in the Word of God, but in our servant series, we're looking specifically at the ones where the Lord says, this person is my servant. And last week was an interesting place in which that occurred, and we obviously had to do some explaining and preaching about what it meant for Isaiah to walk without his prophet's coat and to go barefooted. And today, I want you to know this is in the same time frame as the one we spoke about last week with Isaiah. This, this occurred in the same general time frame of Isaiah's ministry, so you'll kind of put it in perspective. And the title of the message this morning is My Servant, the Nail. My Servant, the Nail. And we want to read several verses of Scripture to lay the groundwork here in Isaiah 22. And let's start with verse 15. And this is the Lord speaking. And the Lord is upset with one particular guy who is in a position of power and authority in the government at that time under Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. And so the Lord is removing this guy from a position of power and putting someone else in that position. And that's what we're reading about as we go forward here. Isaiah 22 and verse 15. Let's read. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go get thee unto this treasurer, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and say to Shebna, What hast thou here, and whom hast thou here, that thou hast hewed thee out a sepulcher or grave, as he that heweth him out a sepulcher or grave on high, and that graveth an habitation for himself in a rock? Behold, the Lord will carry you away or thee away with a mighty captivity and will surely cover thee. And I hope all the sports fans will listen up. The Lord will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There shalt thou die and there the chariots of thy glory shall be the shame of thy Lord's house. But you didn't know the Lord was a pitcher in baseball, did you? That's what that's a description of. Anyway, and I will drive thee from thy station and from thy state shall he pull thee down and it shall come to pass. Now listen, in that day when I remove this other guy that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle and I will commit thy government into his hand. Now listen to the language. Think about the greater comparison that's going on here with my servant Eliakim. Listen to the language and see if you recognize some of these quoted verses in other places. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Now listen, and I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house, and they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity from the vessels of cups, even to the vessels of flagons. And no doubt, even when I read this the first time, I was like, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> well, obviously, there's a greater allusion there to a coming person, Jesus Christ. So I would say this. None of us have probably ever heard of Eliakim maybe before today. I had never... 
I maybe with a passing glance seen the name Eliakim and never delved into what he was as a servant of God and so forth. And compared to Job or compared to Abraham or compared to David and even compared to Isaiah, you would think, well, why is this guy on the list? Well, this is, I want to say two things about that. Number one, it doesn't matter if you're a Job or a David or an Abraham or a little known Eliakim. Being a servant of God is a glorious thing. And the second thing I would say as we uh, go off into this, I don't know that I find a more specific and beautiful comparison of a servant of God to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some specific verses here that specifically in the New Testament refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord thought enough of this little known fella Eliakim to make some incredible comparisons from Eliakim to his own son, Jesus Christ. That's a high honor. Y'all understand that? For somebody to say, hey, that guy's living a life like Jesus. That's a, that's a great blessing for somebody to say that about another. So Eliakim, even though we don't know as much about him as we do Job or Abraham or David or these other guys, he's very important. Now, let's give a little bit of background here. We're going to talk a little bit about the historical significance of Eliakim, and then we're going to move into how that applies to us as servants of God. And the title of the message is My Servant the Nail. Because the Lord says, I will fasten him as a nail. As compared to, remember I told you the Lord's like a baseball pitcher. It says that he wound up and took this other guy. He said, I'll take you and I'll toss you like a ball into a strange land. And that ball, I can just picture that ball just bouncing out through the land. So would you rather be like a tossed ball? Or would you rather be like a nail? As a servant of God, I believe I would rather be a nail, wouldn't you? Now, let's understand the historical and cultural significance of nail, or as they would have also referred to that as a peg, P-E-G, a nail or a peg. We generally think about a nail, something that you nail into the wall and you can't see it. You know, it's maybe covered over with paint or flush with the wall. Obviously, if you're hanging something on a nail, it's more like a peg Some of you, as you walk in your houses, you may have these little areas where you can hang a backpack or hang a coat or hang something and put your shoes up underneath it. Think about those pegs that hang there. I think about old Zion Church. As a child, we would sit there looking at those very strange walls. that The wood had very strange designs on it. I'm sad to say that often times as a small child, I was captivated by those designs on the wall trying to figure out what they look like or meant. Some of you have said you think they look like, they look like an alien. <laughs> I agree with you. They look very strange designs. But across the wall on Zion, Zion Church were these pegs. And the old brothers would hang their hats on them. They'd hang their canes on them. They'd hang their coats on them. I'll never forget that as a child, those pegs on the wall. Matter of fact, Sister Tracy was getting ready for a shower over there uh, that's happening this afternoon at old Zion Church in the old building. And she went in to check on her flowers, and I said, I want to go in there and see if those pegs are still up. And Well, unfortunately, they took them down when they renovated over there, but I remember those pegs very well. That's what he's speaking of when he says this type of nail, something that you can hang something on. Now, Eliakim, who took the place of this man that the Lord was upset with, we don't know what this man did. He was listed as a treasure, a treasurer, and he was over the house of, uh, the house of Hezekiah. May have been that he was over the house of God, that he was over the temple. But no doubt that he had a great influence on Hezekiah's house. And for whatever reason, the Lord was upset with this man because he wasn't being a good steward. He says, I'm going to remove you and I'm going to place Eliakim in your place. Now, Eliakim was the son of Hilkiah. He took Shebna's place. 
And he became the man who was over the house of Hezekiah, maybe even over the house of God as a steward. He was a chief servant of the king. Now, a nail, when you think of a nail or a peg, obviously is something that you hang things on. In the old days, when they had these pegs, these large pegs sticking out of the wall, very often in the Middle East, a peg was something that was even there to help secure the wall. So sometimes if the pegs came out of the wall, the wall might come down. But you see, this was a place that you would hang valuable things on. Now, let's get the situation here with Eliakim and what's going on. If you remember the message last week, Isaiah prophesied and said, whenever the wicked armies come against Jerusalem, don't lose heart. He walked about with with no prophet's coat on and barefooted, telling the people as a sign that if you trust in other countries to come in at, to your aid, then you're going to go into captivity and you'll be naked. You, you won't have shirts and you won't have shoes. You'll be led away as prisoners. And they listened to Isaiah. Eliakim falls into this time frame because Eliakim is the householder whenever those wicked armies come. Whenever Sennacherib, who was the king of Babylon, when he comes and attacks against Jerusalem, he's already taken the lands around about, even some of the cities of Judah. And so he comes to Jerusalem. And we read about that in 2 Kings 18. I was so hoping that I could read to you from, from 2 Chronicles because I don't think I've ever done it. But when I read the account, it was a, uh, I needed the information that's in 2 Kings more than I needed 2 Chronicles. So look at 2 Chronicles 18. And I want you to notice the people that are involved here because Shibna, apparently, he either repented or he hasn't been tossed like a ball into a foreign nation yet because he is still around and he is a cohort. He is a, a companion of Eliakim who is called the nail. The second Kings 18. I want you to get the background up in verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib king of Assyria come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them? And now let's look over to, for the sake of time, to verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Robsaris and Rabshaki from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the Fuller's Field. Now, I want you to get the picture. These messengers of, of the king of Assyria, one of them whose name is Rob Shake, and I think he's got a good name because he says some shocking things. This is a man that has one of the most infamous speeches against the Lord that you'll find in the scripture. Rob Shake comes from Assyria, and this guy is the mouthpiece. Maybe we've been quoting the Lord of the Rings a lot. But if you've ever read The Return of the King or you've ever seen the extended edition of The Return of the King, you'll find, you'll find a fellow called the mouthpiece of Sauron comes out to speak to the armies uh, that have approached uh, the wall there to attack him. He's a, he's a pretty fellow if you've ever seen that extended edition. If you've ever read the book, he's a nasty guy. He's got some ugly speeches to make. I think that maybe Tolkien had in mind Rob Shake. <laughs> because Rob Shake comes to the edge of the city as a crier, as one who would shout out. And he's come to deliver a message to Hezekiah. And look who Hezekiah sends out to get the message. It says in verse 18, When they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, that's our subject this morning, which was over the household, and Shibna the scribe. There's Shibna, who the Lord said, I will throw him like a tossed ball into a foreign country. He's still around. 
And I think, and, and this tells me that maybe this guy repented and he was satisfied with not being the householder anymore or over the house, but being the scribe or the secretary to the guy that was over the house. That, that tells you a good a bit about him. And maybe he was a humble guy. He got humbled by this. But nevertheless, these men stand there and they listen to this horrible speech that Rob Shake gives. And basically, Rob Shake says, your God is nothing and we're going to run over you and destroy Jerusalem. It's so bad that in verse 26, as Rob Shake is going on railing against Hezekiah and against Jerusalem and against the God of Hezekiah, that Eliakim, he was sensitive to what the people were hearing. He was speaking, uh, Rob Shake was speaking in the language of the Jews. And Eliakim says in verse 26, I pray thee, speak to thy servants in the Syrian language. For we understand it and talk not with us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. Eliakim, the nail, was sensitive to what the people heard. He was very sensitive to what went into their ears because this man is there trying to instill fear in them so they'll surrender. And I can't even read verse 27. It's so ugly what Rabshakeh said back in response to that. And in verse 28, it says, Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. He was a nice guy, wasn't he? Eliakim said, Don't speak anymore in the Jews' language because you're terrifying the people. And Rabshakeh just shouts out louder in the Jews' language and speaks to the people on the walls that are listening, all the ears of the people. And he, he's trying to get them to despair. Okay, so Eliakim takes this message back in verse 37 to Hezekiah. Then came Eliakim, which was over the household in Shibna, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder to Hezekiah, watch this now, with their clothes rent and told him the words of Rabshakeh. They were upset by what they heard. They were very upset by what had been told to the people. Let me tell you something. Any minister of the gospel who shepherds a flock ought to be very sensitive to what the people that he pastors hears and what affects them. Why do you think on such a regular basis I encourage you to turn the news off? It's because Rob Shake is on the news and he's causing you to despair and he's causing you to fret and to worry. You say, well, Brother Tim, if we don't tune in, then we won't know. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good thing. You say, well, you want us to be ignorant. No, I don't want you to be ignorant, but I don't want you to be overwhelmed by the criers on the wall who continue to say God is not able because that's what they're saying. Things are so bad. There's no way back. There's no way that we can go forward. There's no way to deal with the issues that we have in our world, in our nation, in our communities, in our homes, in our families. Let me tell you something. God is able. God is a nail or should be a nail in your life, like a peg that you can hang everything on. That's why I tell you, so I turn that stuff off. I also want you to make sure that you're reading and studying and listening to things that are, are promoting the glory of God and putting all of the emphasis on God for salvation. <laughs> Anything that turns that back on you, guess what? There's criers, there's Rob Shockeys out in the world that shock people. Say, did you do it good enough? Did you say it good enough? Did you think it good enough? Did you pray it good enough? Did you get baptized in the right, were you in the right frame of mind? There's so much. Those are nothing but Rob Shockeys that are causing fear. You see, the nail, Jesus Christ, it is secure. There, it, if the nail comes out, the whole house comes down. And I'm telling you, the house of Christ is not going to come down. Turn that stuff off. 
Get that out from in front of your sight. You say, well, I need to hear a little. Well, just do a little then. Don't do a lot. It's going to cause you to despair. And Eliakim, it, it, wants, it makes me want to rip. What would y'all think if I just took my coat off and just ripped it right here in front of you this morning? That's what Eliakim did. He was so upset by what Rob Shaka had said and how he had caused the people to fear and doubt the God of heaven. He's ripped his clothes and they come before the king and say, this is what this guy said. It was terrible. You know what the king does? The king rips his clothes and the king sends them you guessed it, Isaiah. <laughs> Go see what Isaiah says about all this. <laughs> you say, well, it was a sweet little event they had there. Wasn't it? it was more than a sweet little event because Isaiah said, let me tell you something. This king, Sennacherib, whom Rob Shake has said is going to wipe out Jerusalem, he says he will not even shoot an arrow at Jerusalem. And those of you who read the Word of God may be familiar with this is when God sent out one angel in the night into the armies of Assyria that were camped around and had Jerusalem surrounded. And one of God's warriors destroyed 185,000 of the, of the Assyrians. And it says that they woke up the next morning and they were all dead men. How'd you like to wake up and realize you're a dead man? <laughs> they wake up. Basically, if you, you put the accounts from Chronicles and, and Isaiah and Kings together, you'll read that basically the angel went out and slayed all of their captains, their generals, and their leaders. So the common foot soldier woke up the next morning and captain's dead, general's dead, the corporal's dead, the lieutenant's dead. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> you see, the Lord's still on the throne. The Lord is capable of protecting us, guiding us. If we're listening to Rob Shake on the wall, it's just going to cause us to despair. So you see, this was a very important time and Hezekiah sent his best man to go and do these things. He sent the best man to go and deal with Rabshake on the wall. He sent the best man to go to Isaiah. He sent the man who was described as the nail. Now let's talk about the use of a nail. As I said, it's like a peg to hang valuables on. Back in Isaiah 28, uh, 22, we read that the Lord said of Eliakim, He says, I will fasten him as a nail. That's verse 23 of Isaiah 22. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flagons. So what in the world does that mean? Well, if it's a peg, it's got things hanging on it. I think of Elder David Crawford's kitchen down in McClenny, Florida. It's a small kitchen. And so there's not a lot of storage space. But in the middle of that kitchen, he's got this thing hanging down from the ceiling that goes all the way around. And I'm telling you, there's got to be thousands of pots and pans hanging on that. Not thousands, but dozens and dozens of pots and pans hanging on that. I like that because I often find myself like some kind of squirrel digging through his nest trying to find in our drawers and in our doors, you know, where something is. It's hard to find it because it's maybe over behind something. I just kind of like the way you could just look up there. And it's not, you know, it might not be sightful for you ladies in terms of being in the kitchen, but it was really easy to just reach up and grab what you need. Just reach it up. That's a peg. That's holding something in place. Something valuable, something used to cook with. So you think of the vessels of small quantity and the cups to the wineskins. That's what a flagon is. It's a wineskin, a big wineskin that would hold water or wine. And so what he's saying here is this. What are we hanging our valuables on? Think about it. These pegs, these things that, we, that they had back in these days. See, Hezekiah hung his valuables. King Hezekiah hung his valuables on Eliakim. That means he trusted the running of his house and the running of the temple to Eliakim. Did you know that Eliakim was a descendant of Levi, of the priests? You know, the peg is to support the wall. Y'all ever played the game Jenga? I think that's how you say it. 
you, know, you stack that thing up, you know, and then you see how many you can pull out from underneath it and it still stand. <laughs> That's not what this is talking about. You know, I'll see how many things I can get away with or how many things I can pull out and maybe it'll still stand. No, that's not what this peg does. This peg, these pegs support the wall. They keep the wall up. Let me, let me tell you some big issue type pegs that you need to nail down. And some of these really grieve me because I didn't have to have these nailed down to me when I was a child. Because of the way we came up and the way the culture was at that time, it just wasn't that as big of a deal. But here's some big issues that need to be nailed down and hung on the peg. These are valuable issues. And we won't spend a whole lot of time on any one issue, but I want to get them before you so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Abortion. That's a big issue right there that needs to be nailed down on the peg of the Scripture. That it's murder and it's not some kind of choice going on there. Human life is precious. That is a big issue that needs to be nailed down. You have, parents, you have to nail that down with your children because they're hearing all kinds of other things going on. Same-sex marriage the sin of homosexuality, things like that. Those things have to be nailed down today from the Scripture. They're, see, they're not a political issue for the child of God. It's not a political issue. It is an issue of God's glory. And I was, I think I shared this with you a few weeks ago, but I somehow on one of the little feeds that I get, maybe through Facebook, there's an advertisement for TikTok that pops up on that. You know, it says register for TikTok or whatever, which I hadn't and I'm not going to. <laughs> But that little advertisement pops up and it was advocating homosexuality. It was advocating no gender. You know, it was advocating, I think it's trisgender. It was, that's exactly what the little 10 second or 15 second blurb was saying. I was thinking, how in the world, who could not look at that and think they're not preaching to us? They're preaching to us. Parents, you, gotta, you have to sit down and go through the scripture and nail these things down or they will get away. The issue will get away from you. What about the issue? This is unbelievable that I have to even say this. What about the issue of socialism? You know, should we be socialists or should we not? Did you know that there was a study by Cornell University done uh, recently? You can look this study up. And it, it analyzed the 20th century and the number of deaths that took place in the 20th century. 300 million deaths related to war and other things. And yes, you really think we're evolving? <laughs> You know, that's more than you can put together, well, the way I understand it, that's more than the number that's been since the world has been here in one century. That's crazy, isn't it? Okay, listen to this. 186 million in this study, which is not Brother Tim's study, it's Cornell University, 186 million people perished in war out of those 300 million. 150 million perished because of what they called human decision, which, of course, I'm sure you know would be abortion. And also, austerity campaigns. You know what an austerity campaign by a socialist or a communist nation is? China, USSR, back in the days when it was in, in, in power. An austerity campaign is when the, in socialist government, where they look around and they say, we got too many people to feed. So they get rid of some of them. There's no way to sugarcoat that, is it? That's the end result of something like socialism. Did you know God's word speaks to that? It's not a political issue. It's a life or death issue. It's amazing that that's even on the thought, in the thought process of, of people. And by the way, it seems to be affecting more young people than the older people. Parents, preachers, individuals have to address those issues. Those are nails that need to be nailed down so that you can see what God says about that. We don't want a purge plan that we got too many mouths to feed. So we need a purge plan to get rid of some people. 
What about this big, big issue? Salvation. <laughs> That's a little minor issue, isn't it? You worried about your salvation? A worried about what the, the Lord says about how I'm saved? Where do you think we should go to look for that? The Word of God. <laughs> Those are big issues. Nails that ought to be nailed down for God's children to know your salvation is not on you. It's on Christ. And He, the nail of God, He succeeded in saving you from your sins. Now what about some of these small vessel issues? Those are big issues. But maybe these aren't so small. What about parents just teaching their children in general and not leaving it over to the church or to the school system or something like that? Parents spending time with their children. You know, I've told you, the Bible does not teach quality time. The Bible teaches quantity time. To be talking about the Lord when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk in the way, and then when you sit at your table. What about those small issues of the purpose of the church? Oh, we've been like a ship tossed on the sea in the last year or so, haven't we? The, the church has just been bombarded. Look at the churches in California. Some of them have not even met uh, again since COVID hit. We've been blessed, have we not? <laughs> to be doing a transmitter, to be doing an inside service. It's amazing how God is blessed, but it still tossed the church on the storms of the sea, right? What about the small issues of who your friends are, young folks? who you're spending time with, who your boyfriend is, who your girlfriend is. Does God really say anything? Can I really nail down what God wants me to do on that? Yes, you can. So I ask the question, are we nails in the house of God? Or are we like a tossed ball? Like the Lord, like a pitcher, winds up and takes a turn and he tosses. What can you hang on a ball? <laughs> you ever seen a peg on a ball? Try hang your coat on a ball and then throw it. <laughs> you know, Try hanging anything on a ball. It's round. There's no place you can even hang anything on it. You see, it's, in, it's unstable. You get that? But a peg in the wall is stable. Are we nails or are we tossed balls? I was thinking about pegs and thinking about my grandmother's house. My grandmother McCool there on McCool Road. There were two things in her kitchen that stuck with me from a small child. One was a little tiny dinner bell that she had right there by her. And we'd always ring it. We even broke the little leather strap off of it. We'd still take it and ding, 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 ring it when dinner time was there. And she also had a little door knocker right there that was made out of wood, a little hammer made out of wood. And it had a sheath that you put it in. And as a child, I rebuilt her den a thousand times, taking that little hammer and just tick, 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 you know. But those were things that were always, I always went to those things. I always looked at those things. They were always there. You know, and she's been gone for a number of years. As, as far as I know, I know at least one of them. Both of them may still be there. But you don't know what kind of an effect your status of being a nail may have even to the next generation. How are we in our conduct? Are we balls tossed into the next issue or the next problem? Or are we like nails in the wall, like pegs that you can hang your hat on? You can hang your hopes and dreams on it. Moms, dads, friends, church members, listen to this. The best I can tell... Eliakim had a grandson, might have been a nephew, but I believe it was a grandson. And his name was Ezra. Anybody ever heard of Ezra? It says in Ezra, the seventh chapter, that Ezra went up from Babylon after they'd gone into captivity. Many years after Eliakim, the nail had existed. Uh, it says that Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king, that was the king of Babylon, granted him all his requests according to the, his hand of the Lord, his God upon him. <laughs> you never know the effect that you may have by standing firm on these big issues or these little issues. Stand on the word of God. That's a nail that will never pull out of the wall. So you can be a servant 
And be, maybe be well known like Job or Abraham, but you can also be a servant like Eliakim, who nobody has hardly really ever heard of. Remember I told you that one of the greatest comparisons that we have is between Eliakim and the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a nail in the wall. It says that Eliakim was compared to the coming Christ. It says the key of the house of David would be laid upon his shoulder. That's Christ, is it not? That he shall open and none shall shut. That's Christ. He shall shut and none shall open. That's Christ. And he would be fastened as a nail. And it says he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. That is Christ, is it not? He sits upon the glorious throne. He is the glorious throne of his father's house. And all the glory of his father's house would be hung upon him. Whether it's the small child or whether it's the old man of years, all the glory of the house of God is hung upon the nail Jesus Christ. I ask you, where are your hopes and dreams? Are they on the next you know, political event? Are the political person that rises from the tumultuous sea of politics? Are they on the next social issue that comes along where we're like being tossed upon a sea? I'm here one day, I'm there the next. I tell you, fasten your hopes and your dreams. Fasten your understandings. Fasten your conviction. Fasten what you have on the Lord Jesus Christ who is the ultimate nail. Eliakim was a foreshadowing or a picture of that greater nail, that greater peg, that greater secure post that we have in Christ. I can be a servant as well known maybe as Abraham or Job, but it's okay if you're an Eliakim. It's okay if you're not as well known as those guys because the Lord makes one of the most beautiful comparisons you'll see in the scripture to Jesus from the little known example of Eliakim. Let's be nails in the house of God and not some fickle ball that can be tossed about here or there. I love every one of you and I pray that the Lord would bless us to take to heart what we've heard from Brother Luke this morning. Take to heart what we've heard here this morning in the example of my servant, the nail. And there's no better way to show that you're a nail in the house of God than to come and join and be a part of the house of God, the church of God. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.